Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to episode number 38 of the Scottish History Podcast. My name is Owen Innes and this week it's a very, very special podcast. A couple of weeks ago I sat down with a real historian um, I am not a historian, I'm just a guy who likes history, but a couple of weeks ago I sat down with a real historian and I would like to present that for you this week on episode number 38 of the Scottish History Podcast. So folks, once again, welcome to episode number 38. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had the pleasure of sitting down with historian Dr. Fiona Watson, who has written books such as Under the Hammer, Edward I and Scotland, 1296 to 1305. And her more recent book, Traitor, Outlaw, King, about King Robert the Bruce. Uh, nothing really to do with the film. Uh, it just came out round about the same time. Um those two books are absolutely fantastic. If you like your um, history on the Scottish Wars of Independence. So basically we sat down, I had a few questions, but we kind of just sat down and had a chat about that sort of thing. I know that this particular type of format isn't everyone's favourite type of format, but it was something that when I first started this podcast that I'd always wanted to do, I'd always wanted to get in touch with Fiona, and of course lockdown happened and everything like that, so we finally managed to arrange uh, being able to sit down and have a chat, so I would like to present that for you um, today. Uh, so. Again, thank you very much for tuning in and I hope that you enjoy this little interview with Dr. Fiona Watson. Just before the podcast begins as well, folks, I just want to mention there is a couple of little audio issues um, due to the way in which we had to record the podcast. Uh, the, the beginning sounds okay, but then about um, about sort of five minutes or so, three or four minutes into the podcast, it does kind of get a little bit uh, weird. Um However, I believe that it is uh, totally clear enough uh, in order to hear. So anyway, I hope that you enjoy this podcast with Dr. Fiona Watson. So thank you very yeah. much for agreeing to doing this. Um, sure. It's uh, Yeah, and it's about my favourite bit of history as well. Um, I do like the, the Wars of Independence. That was, the, that was actually the first 
when I started the podcast, they were like the first five or six episodes that I did. Because I've been trying to keep them to like 20 minutes long. Yeah. Um, and so it basically went like Alexander II and Third, Wallace, and then like Bruce over like three, I think it was three or four episodes, I think it took me to do Bruce. Um, but again, it's it's all total hobbyist. It's just reading whatever P- information I could find online. Oh, no, it's brilliant. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, you could spin this out and definitely my uh, PhD supervisor um, took three lectures to do the great cause. So <laughs> you can go anywhere you like. <laughs> Jeez. I know. Give me strength. Well, um, I've been, I've, I've unfortunately not had enough time. I bought both the Under the Hammer and Traitor Outlaw King. Oh, yeah. That's like when we first started talking, and uh, oh, did you? I just never. I've, I've managed yeah, to get I, up to I, chapter four on um, Traitor Locking, just because I've just not had the time oh. to read anything. But I, was, I, know, I, I went back through it and was browsing work. through it and stuff like that. So, yeah, the great cause was. Well, that's better. I'm glad you did that because um, I've just revised Under the Hammer, so it's going to be mm-hmm. reissued oh, at nice. some point. Because it's I, I, like, it's 20 odd years old. Is it? Well, I mean, they may have reprinted ah, it right, yeah. and put a new date <laughs> on, but it hasn't, it hasn't been updated. <laughs> right. Still so, a uh, ridiculous thank, thanks to various people from 30 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I always, um, so like with, with King Edward, I always like, like when you're sort of on a tour as well, you've kind of got to be careful with the things that you say. But one thing that I always used to say was like King Edward was an absolute genius. Like he was just military genius. Like there's, I don't think there's a single Scottish person who like knowledgeable, who's actually even read into anything that happened that would, that would in any way disagree with, with his utter um, genius and the way in which he went about things. I mean, the way in which he went about things was maybe not quite the, <laughs> the, the greatest ways, but it was very... unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. No. Aye. Um, so, where to start? I don't even know where to start. Well, I... <laughs> where would you like to start? I mean, we could, we could do this all night, but. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's the thing. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> I think Do you I want think, to focus on on Bruce or or Wallace uh, or well, I mean it's, the, it's the outbreak of the wars whatever it's entirely up to yourself. Um, I mean, I kind of I'd, I'd say I'd, I went through I did manage to pick out a few questions, but they're like they're so all over the place that it's unreal, and and it's like. So I suppose it's more, I think this is kind of more for me than for anyone listening to a podcast. Um, because there's like, you know, there's certain things that, that like, Absolutely. quite, it's not that I didn't quite understand them. It's just like sort of reading into it, you're, that you're like, I, I've got maybe a bit of a conspiracy brain at times. Um, so I think, so one of, one of the biggest questions which, um, which I had was about Alexander Third. And I think there's the, um, and as I say, even in, in your book, when I was reading sort of through it yesterday, um, there's no sort of definitive as to what exactly, well, we know exactly what happened to Alexander III in terms of he died. 
But what do you think happened? (laughs) But it's like, what do you think actually happened? Because there's there's a few. um, I've been to Dunfermline Abbey a few times, and one of the guys that's that's in there, one of the custodians, he does this brilliant talk about Bruce and stuff like that. Um, But he he also alludes to was Alexander pushed? Do do you think that Alexander may have been? You know, was it was it all sort of a, a ruse in a way? Well, I mean, I know it was Alexander. And, and the other night, my husband and I, went, no, nobody made him go. In fact, they were all going, "Don't go, don't be stupid." And yeah. it was dark. <laughs> it was pitch black. I mean, <laughs> it was stormy. It's there's no moon. You know, I mean, you rely on the horse to follow a path, and and his horse didn't. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it followed the eight path, but not the right one. <laughs> uh, Yes, <laughs> straight over the cliff, um, or or not? Because yes, it doesn't actually say he went over the cliff, but he was definitely dead at the bottom of it. Um, I don't, I don't, I honestly don't um, subscribe to any conspiracies about that because um, there's no evidence immediately after that Edward had any interest in Scotland. It takes him a hell of a long time to kind of he's, he's much busier, um, you know, with this his fallout with. Philip the Fourth of France, and, mm-hmm. and and as Duke of Gascony, which Edward is, he's much much more concerned about about all of that. And, and you know, he, and he's genuinely sad. I mean, Alexander's a member of his own extended family as his brother-in-law. Mm. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's just not something that um, I don't think it entered his, into his head. The, the the relationship between Scotland and England was incredibly stable and incredibly good. And I think for me, I, I do say this quite often. That's the huge tragedy of the situation. It's it's not even the death, the stupid death of a king, you know, mm-hmm. which was entirely his own fault. It's it's the fact that there's this unusually good relationship between neighbours that is completely scuppered by what yeah. happens next. Right. that was that was always kind of like one of one of the things that you always get asked about as well is like England and Scotland have always been fighting. They all hate each other and stuff like. That. It's like, well, no, there's there's probably been periods where we've actually quite liked each other for a lot longer than there has been when we've been kind of fighting with each other and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so yeah, I mean, there was, I mean, there, it hadn't been great, but then you know, this is the period where all over Europe neighbors were ah. fighting. Big countries were swallowing up. Well, France is, is you know gobbling up Normandy, Brittany, all the bits that 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 had been independent. You forget we're independent because they're now so part of France. Um, and, and uh, you know, England and Scotland are, have been the same. And most of the time, it's the Scots that have been the aggressors mm. trying to take more of Northumberland. Yeah. Um, it's always us crossing the border. <laughs> 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 in our hands. Yeah, I think we, we, we certainly did do that in quite a number of And the English occasions. go, oh, for goodness sake, well, you just, <laughs> we were there. Um, so it's, that's it's why, like you sort know, of poking the big dog. It's like the big dog will take it for a little while yeah. and then eventually <laughs> they're like, no, nah, we're not having this anymore. And then it's like, and then you realise why you don't poke the big dog with a stick. And then you forget instantly. <laughs> do it again. <laughs> that's what we did. I think what I was saying, I think that's what I was saying was that, you know, the relationship between Scotland and England was such that there wasn't really even a border. I mean, were, we were two distinct kingdoms, but people just came and went and people were marrying and um, having family on both sides. I mean, when you look at the, the even this, you know, obviously the top guys, um, I mean, King John was son-in-law of the man who defeated him at Dunbar, you know, so it's just so interconnected. And you just yeah. think, I just think how awful it must have been. And how, actually, you kind of think, well, there must have been a great temptation in many ways for the Scottish aristocracy to just go, well, 
it wouldn't be all that different for us. And I think that's where Edward really mocked up is that he he made it. He he could have taken those guys and said, look, you know, my rule's not going to be hugely different from what went before. But he didn't. He just said, I'm going to do it this way, my way, and anything else, forget it. And they just thought, well, you're giving us no reason to buy into it. Because they quite often get slagged off the Scottish aristocracy. But I think that's unfair. Um, you, you always have to ask yourself, well, what else could they have done, you know, in the situation in which they found themselves? And most of the time they tried blooming hard to uh, to wriggle out of or actively fight against Edward. Mm. Yeah, I, I think it was what was very strange is when, um, again, the, the years and things like that are going to like be completely missing. Um, but basically when Edward called everyone to... Was it Upsetlington? Yeah, the Scots, uh, well, well the just, Scots, Norham, Norham, he was at Norham. Norham, that's the one, yeah. Um, that's even in one of my podcasts. I should have listened to my own podcast to get myself refreshed on all this. Um, but yeah, it was, that, that seemed very strange when he was just like, right, everybody meet me here and you've got no choice about it whatsoever. And then he was like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm going to choose your new king. And, and if... You know, and if I don't choose a new king, then it'll be me. You know, you literally have no say in that whatsoever. I think or you can have as much say as I can possibly give you. As I want to give you, you know. That, that whole thing is very difficult because the record of it was doctored later. It was doctored in 1296 when Edward took over Scotland. So right. the record of, of what happened on each day was moved and change because the orders of which things happened is really really important and it's been unpicked um, and <laughs> it's really hard to read the stuff that Archie Duncan wrote about it he's the one who can give you three lectures on the great cause which is why because <laughs> he was trying to untangle the misinformation that we've been given yeah but uh, I mean the Scots were in shock because they had either kitted themselves or genuinely believed, they knew that they were in an impossible situation because subjects can't choose kings. It's God that chooses kings. So how do you actually do it? And this is not something particular to Scotland. I mean, England had been through it in the previous century and that had been a bitter, bitter civil war, um, Stephen and yeah. Matilda. The French are going to go through it in the next century that's going to herald the Hundred Years' War. So it's, it's something, you know, biology. When you go to this primogeniture, you know, eldest son down the line you're going to run out sooner or later and you're going to have to face this and so the scots did it and in actual fact we the scots did very well given that not only did they have to do that but they also had to fend off this really really um powerful neighbor but somebody had to do the choosing and edward was an obvious choice he he was scotland's nearest neighbor he was renowned in europe as a diplomat as someone who did try to sort out problems you know so he he, he was the person that was going to save scotland from civil war and that's what they were worried about them the most they weren't worried about a war with england that was inconceivable um so uh it, when they went when you're right when when edward said right everyone to norham they went um isn't norham in england <laughs> 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 that's a bit of a problem because this is a scottish yeah. issue you need to come into scotland and sort it out which is why the scots went up settlington which is just on the other side of the tweet so they could sort of wave and shout but <laughs> they were, one lot were in scotland in and typical the other Scottish style as well is like no we're, we're going to be as stubborn as possible it's like <laughs> you're over there you're over here we'll just shout at each other <laughs> we'll start it out that way <laughs> uh, we'll start this out by a shouting match across the team. 
<laughs> but Percy Edward is at least as stubborn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I think that's actually quite a um, sort of a good insight on it because, like, it, it was actually fairly peaceful, almost in a way. The the whole sort of like that that whole in, in comparison to you know civil war and a hundred years Absolutely. war in France and stuff like that. Um, I never actually quite thought of it that way before. Yeah, so yeah, you, you, yeah. You have to look and see. Well, gosh, this is a very difficult situation, and they are, and there were genuine concerns about civil war because there already had been a little bit of one when the maid mm. uh, before the maid, um, you know, about letting the maid of Norway uh, become queen, even though they'd all signed an oath, they'd all sworn that they would um, accept her as, as Alexander's heir if he didn't have any other children. Um, but when it came to the bit, of course, Robert Bruce of Allendale, the competitor, said, mm -hmm. to hell with that, you want me. I'm the right guy for the job. And, and there had been civil war and, and there are records of it. Um, mm -hmm. And there was quite a bit of devastation. So, so this was a very real fear and that was always at the back of everyone's minds. And they mm -hmm. needed Edward. They needed somebody to sort it out. Um, because obviously there were two factions. Yeah. Bruce and Balliol. So. Yeah, yeah. The 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 Bruce versus Balliol thing always sort of interested me as well. Um, mm -hmm. Because I, so the way in which I always used to put it, and and again, this is probably a, a, a lot of what I suppose in a way that I would see things as well is is kind of almost hindsight. You know, it's like mm. in hindsight, you know, realistically. Balliol was kind of the wrong choice as such, but like it's like that had to happen in order for whatever you know everything else that happened. You know, if it wasn't if it wasn't for sort of well, if it wasn't for Alexander the Third, you know, trying to write the Kinghorn, then the whole thing wouldn't have happened. Damn young wives, honestly. <laughs> 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 Just yeah. temptation. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, I mean, the, the question we have to ask ourselves when it comes to Bruce versus Balliol, I mean, is the evidence is pretty clear that Robert Bruce of Annandale would have done anything that Edward said. He was the first to accept um, Edward as um, Lord Superior of Scotland, um, and Balliol was the last, probably because the, the common family who've been written out of history but are so important to this period. The, the John Common of Badenoch and his cousin, the Earl of of Buchan. Uh, they were the ones who really ran um, Scotland and, and had run it during the period after the death of Alexander. Um, they, they were related, they were brothers-in-law with Balliol, uh, John Common of Baden, of course, and, um, and they were saying, well, you know, don't, don't do this. But then when Edward made it clear that you couldn't be in the competition to be king unless you accepted him as Lord Superior. Then Balliol had no choice. But you know he was last, and Bruce was first. So you have to say to yourself, if Bruce had been made king, he would have done everything that Edward asked anyway. And all he would have done is reversed the, the position in terms of who was actually on the throne, um, yeah. and probably made it a bit more difficult. But um, yeah, so I, I honestly don't think it wouldn't have mattered who had been chosen. Um, as king. The point was that Edward had it sewn up so that movement, the, the restrictions that were going to come um, once once the king was inaugurated would be the same. Um, and it would just be a question of accepting them and, and a very fundamentally different relationship between Scotland and England that had compromised fundamentally the independence of, the, of, of Scotland or fighting for it. Uh, and the most important element in that conundrum 
is war between France and England. Uh, because it's only when that starts kicking off, which is around 1294, that Scots suddenly become attractive to France as an ally. And so they've got a big, another big dog <laughs> this time, <laughs> stroke <laughs> yeah. to have yeah. on side against, because, I mean, they're not suicidal. They were, they were not going to take on England by themselves. In actual fact, that's what they ended up doing, because France was well, yeah, yeah. help. <laughs> but at least they had that psychological kind of... I mean, and, and in some ways, when you jump in ahead, when you see what the Scots did, because they're the ones that kind of kick off the war in 1296 uh, by invading England, you can kind of think mm. that they're expecting the cavalry to come over the channel any minute, and it just doesn't happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think um, if if my sort of memory serves me correctly, with with Edward being in France at the time, certainly in sort of twelve ninety six, when when Edward's down there, twelve twelve ninety seven um, is after sorry. the conquest. He goes, yeah, goes after, yeah. yeah. So so he's basically in France, and he, he basically Edward the, the English army, I think, was the largest in the world at that time. So uh, I think we've essentially Europe. been able to essentially cut his army in half, leave half of them in France, send the other half up to Scotland, and even then the half that he still had left in France, that technically would have been able to stop any sort of French. Well, it's um, interesting because there's another complicating factor in all of this, which was that England was really fed up with all the demands. Because, I mean, Edward has been off and on at war most of his reign, certainly since the 1280s. He's conquered Wales. Yeah, there is trouble in Ireland sometimes, um, but yeah, major con conquest of Wales, which flares up again. Um, mm -hmm. Fight with France, and now he's he's kind of got it kicked off in in Scotland. So you know, you take your hat off for multitasking. But uh, <laughs> and you're right, uh, England does have one of the most impressive armies, in, or certainly the largest logistically. Mm -hmm. You know, it is it is impressive. It's it it, it could do with it needs to change. Um, as as warfare is changing in this period, but um, but even Edward can't. There is a limit to it, and the limit is actually on the English people who who are just utterly war weary. Um, they've mm. paid and paid and paid, and now they're being asked to pay even more. Um, and then and when Edward does go to the continent in twelve ninety seven, so he conquers Scotland in twelve ninety six, sets up the mm. government and just says, right, that's it, just get on with it, and expects and. To begin with, this this does happen. Scottish taxation will then help the English war effort in France, and and mm. as I say, that does happen to begin with, um, until the Scots went. I uh, don't think so. Um, the the English army in Flanders, because because um, Edward goes to the Low Countries uh, to fight France, um, is is none of the English earls would go. They're all so fed up with them, and so England is very close to civil war. Um, and um, it has been a big army in uh, in Scotland in 1296, but it's really you could argue, and it has been argued by Michael Presswich, who wrote biography of Edward I. You know that that Stirling Bridge, Wallace and Murray's great victory, was actually what united the English with their their king and allowed Edward yeah. to bring up a huge English army, one of the biggest ever, um, mm -hmm. 20, 25,000 which is not big by modern standards, which was huge yeah, by yeah. medieval standards, um, in 1298, which led to Wallace's defeat, of course, at, at Falkirk. At Falkirk, yeah. yeah. So, just quickly back to the Bruce Balliol thing. Mm. Um, so, obviously, Balliol signs the... Why is my mind gone blank? 
Um, it's Friday. Say again, sorry. It's Friday. Yeah, it's and you've been working. I've, I've been, but I've been off my work all week. Oh, that's right. That'll be it. <laughs> this, 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 this is what's like. I think I think it's just menta- um, mentality. Um, mm-hmm. The oh come on! Give us a clue. You know, uh, is it a film? Is I, it a book? No, no, no. It's, um, <laughs> so so Bailey all signs the with France. Oh, the treaty. Oh, the There's treaty, a treaty with France. Yeah. Um, ah, what's the yeah. bloody name of it though? Does it have a name? This is the treaty with France. I, uh, like the old alliance. I always, the old alliance, that's the one. Yes, yeah. I think that, that's that, what that, we call it. The, I don't think they call it. It's yeah, an old alliance. No, there we are, we're signing the old alliance. Old alliance? I don't think so, though. No. <laughs> I don't uh, think so, no. Um, so, obviously, I think that, that was quite a big sort of turning point between Balliol and Edward. You know, I think Edward didn't also oh, God, like yeah. the fact that, that Balliol did that. And now, and now that makes sense to me because I never knew the Balliol to be the, the, the last to sign for the great cause sort of thing. But do you think, uh, I, I think it would be then highly unlikely that, that um, Robert Bruce would have signed anything along those lines. Probably not. No, I think you're probably right. It's hard to tell, but, you know, the, yeah. the, the evidence just he was totally spineless. He was quite happy mm. about this sub-king status. Mm. Sorry, spineless is unfair. He was happy to be. See, maybe no, I get, I get what you mean. He was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, go for it. He was spineless. No, um, he was. He he. I think it's us who have this kind of very modern. And which, to be fair, people were starting to 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 think about in thirteen hundred around that time. Um, this issue of sovereignty. You know, there had been big kings and little kings. In in British terms, kings of Scots had always admitted. Yeah, we're not as big a king as the king of England. He's much more powerful than we are. In Ireland, we have a high king and you've got lots of other kings. So the kingship was relative for most of this mm. period. Um, and, and you do have the king of England. Okay, he's, he's the only king in, in England, but he is also the Duke of Gascony in a subordinate position to the King of France. So all these things are still circling. And, and Bruce didn't see any contradiction, I suspect, between being the King of Scots beneath the King of England. Why not? Yeah, no, that's, that's it. I think, um, I think what a lot of people's misconceptions would be that obviously Balliol was like, he was rubbish. He was the worst king we've ever had. You know, I mean, like you can't even have a Scottish king called John anymore. <laughs> um, from, from you know that's that's if I've got that completely right. I th- I don't think oh, it's right. written into law. It but, is written um, into law. Well, there you go. Because uh, no, Robert, because <laughs> Rob, Robert the Third's um, name was. Well, what, John, what gets it? me about that is why did he name his eldest son John? <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there is that. He had to change that. it to Robert. <laughs> but yeah, now I've always found that sort of fascinating. But I think I think kind of as as obviously the history kind of goes on i think there's only ever been one king john of england as well so i don't think john's not necessarily a name which is going to appear anything no soon. if you're going to be a king don't yeah. don't be called john although interesting robert bruce i think because when prince david was born he was a twin and the mm-hmm. other one didn't, didn't live very long but i think he was john i could be wrong about that but i think so <laughs> i might have to look that up yeah yes um, John's in Scottish history. Yeah, I think I think James is also quite an unlucky name as well. 
but the, the, the ultimate way of, uh, of how many Jameses died in very strange circumstances and then obviously <laughs> what happened to uh, the later um, seventh and eighth and stuff like that. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Blowing up by your own cannon, that's got to be the best one. Yeah, that, that, I think that's one of my favourites. <laughs> Although the tennis court story, I was thinking about that, but we digress. Yeah, I think, I think getting killed, essentially getting killed because of tennis balls. Um, is also quite a quite a good one. It's good, he doesn't want to lose That's... his tennis balls. That that was that that was quite. Didn't a good make one. that up. I've not I've not quite got round to um, doing all of the Jameses yet on the podcast. I've got uh, <laughs> I've done the 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 Jacobites and stuff like that. Oh, have you? You started at the other yeah. end. I, I just start everywhere. <laughs> like I just um, so because I, I normally record them once a week. I basically sort of sit for a week and then on usually a Friday evening. It's just like bang. There's just an idea, and it's just like right. I'm gonna go down this route um, because again, I think it's just sort of more like passion about it. I suppose you know, I, I put more effort into something, into an episode where like I really want to learn about mm. that episode just now. Oh, quite right. Um, so like I've been uh, I've been going through a, a few books recently, and I've been doing um, sort of going back to the beginning kind of thing. So like about the early settlers and oh, wow. um, and stuff like that. And then I'm, I'm up to the Vikings just now. The last episode was uh, sort of the, the Bronze Age and then into the Iron Age and then uh, up to the Romans. But then obviously Monday coming up is St. Andrew's Day. So I can't not do an episode about St. Andrew's Day. So people are going to have to wait for the Romans for <laughs> a, a week or a couple of weeks after that until, uh, until I sort of get around. My my plan this week was to basically record as many episodes as I possibly could, but uh, that went incredibly well, and I'm back <laughs> to work on Sunday night, so <laughs> so I basically got tomorrow um, to, to come up with. I'll probably do the Vikings one tomorrow, and then that means I've got two episodes ready to go. Then hopefully this one. Um, oh, we've removed the wow. in limit. Oh, there, there you go. So that what did will, you do? And nothing. I'm literally, I'm literally just staring at that message. That's well, that's that's good. They obviously like our um, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Maybe is the government listening in? Uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what government around the world's going to be interested in. <laughs> you wish they were interested, but sadly, I suspect they're yeah. not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I think that's that's see, that's one of the sort of annoying things about. You know, when I was growing up, we did Mary Queen of Scots in primary school, mm. and then we maybe studied the Jacobites for three or four weeks in between yeah. learning about the First and Second World Wars in high school. Yeah, you know that that was that was literally it. Um, and I think um, I, there's, I do get there's a lot war of now. There's, my son did. They, he did higher last year, and the wars was it was one of the topics. And you can do oh, I, wars. In advanced hires for the sixth year, but um, but uh, there's a danger that the, the wars of independence become like the Nazis, where you 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 get them, and that's about all you get, you know. So I yeah. mean, I think the the problem the problem is that you know many many young people come out of school with no real. I'm going to have to let the dog out. Sorry, no, no, um, okay. with no real sweep of Scottish history, you know, no no kind of. Um, broad understanding of even you know what the the main 
stuff going on actually was and, yeah. and that's more of a worry i mean every every citizen should know something about the history just as they know something about the geography and and everything else yeah i think personally i believe that if there's only two stories or two parts of scottish history that everyone should know about and, and that's the wars of independence and the jacobite times because wars of independence kind of set up how essentially scotland became its own nation in a way i mean it was its own nation for a long time before then but that was you know kind of like you know with with bannockburn etc the um the declaration of our growth which of course then probably likely influenced the, the declaration of independence in america as well and possibly the Treaty of Versailles, I think. I think I read somewhere along. It was <laughs> probably talking utter nonsense, but you know, like, like, you know, just sort of like, you know, leave us alone kind of thing. I'm sure Maybe it Maybe not it the helped. Treaty of Versailles, but there was probably another one. Yeah. Um, mm. <laughs> but the, um, but, you know, I think everyone should know about that and the Jacobites because the Jacobites. And like the end moving forward kind of tells you why Scotland is the way that it is now, because it, that's still fairly recent history in comparison. Oh, it is. But you're such a romantic. Um, I mean, there's so much more. I mean, I mean, that's that's high politics, you know, which, to be honest, mm. a lot of the time doesn't impact on people's lives at all. You know, there's the whole um, the way that people lived, um, mm. the dis differences, you know, the growing difference between highlands and lowlands. Um, you know what languages there's just just a million and one ways you can dice this and and as far as school's concerned the easiest way and the best way to get kids interested is to keep it start local uh what was happening in your neighborhood in your neck of the woods over the sweep of scottish history and then how does that fit in to the broader sweep of scottish history you know the, the national history and then how does that fit in um, a wee bit to to European and and global history, obviously, as we go into the modern period. Um, but you know, why did so many people not support the Jacobites? You know, the urban and growing urban um, rural divide. You know, something that's that's very relevant to today. All the great um, scientific and intellectual things that went on, as well as the Reformation, which was probably the Reformation was probably. <laughs> I, I lose interest as a historian simply because then you do have to think about whether somebody was Protestant or Catholic whereas before then you don't have to worry about it. Um, but you know that's that's a huge, I mean apart from anything else that transformed the relationship between Scotland and England because Scotland became Protestant along with England and then you're against France which remains Catholic. So you know you've got, I mean you can, as I say, you can dice the problems. I've sat on a committee once which was talking about history in schools and the, the issue that we have, unlike science, in science you need to know certain things before you can go on and learn other things. There are building blocks and you, you, you advance. Um, there's no, every historian will tell you a million, you know, in fact every Scottish person will tell you different sections of Scottish history that everyone has to know. So that's the problem. But um, as I say, if you actually say Look, I'm sitting in Braco um, in Perthshire. You know, we have a Roman fort, um, but we're also we were um, the, the village itself was only constructed in, in 1815 at the end of the Napoleonic Wars, and yet there's been castles here for much much earlier. And in fact, I've got records. Uh, I was I didn't live here at the time of the Earldom of Strathairn, with many of the place names that are just on our doorstep, um, all mm. there. And that's you know that's 
that's really fascinating. So for me, it's not really a question of you must know X, Y, and Z. Uh, mm -hmm. I would like kids oh, wow. to have a, a, a long, you know, just some idea of every century, what's the key elements, whether that's agricultural reform, reformation, rival of the Romans or something like that. But more importantly, what was going on? in my backyard because then it's personal and then and it is your history and it, it is every individual's history um it's just that if you want to be a citizen in a modern democracy i think you do have to have some kind of understanding of what uh happened beforehand to bring you to this point it shouldn't define the decisions you make now but it certainly mm -hmm. is part of it that's my political performance over for the day. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll send that in an email to uh... <laughs> no that's that's I think that's um that's I think yeah yeah you're utterly utterly correct there. oh thank you like, I, I love I love hearing um see, I live in Bonnyrigg just outside of Edinburgh um and obviously around about here it's all like sort of coal mining and stuff like that you know but again see I'm I'm a history sort of guy I think it would be different if um, you know, if you weren't, you know, that, that yeah. would kind of get you into, you know, it's like, oh, there's a place five minutes walk away from your house where you can go after school, yeah. have a look around it, and this is what it used to be, and, and these are the people that used to live there, and they came from such and such. I think that's actually a very good yeah, because yeah, you're right. I mean, if you're interested in history, you won't mind. It'll be you'll you'll be reading about it anyway. Um, um, but if you're not, and most people probably aren't, that will excite you because because you you can see it, you can feel it, you can understand it. I mean, we our, our village was 200 years, five years ago, and there was a lot of of that stuff going on, and and there's various people brought a lot of the history together and people were fascinated and going oh gosh that's my house and so and so lived there you know and, and, that, yeah, and that was yeah. really nice yeah oh pardon me um right uh oh, so I, think, I think um i think maybe a wee bit about wallace would be quite good oh wallace. Uh, yeah yeah mm. what's what's your overall opinion of wallace um, he's really difficult because, on the one hand, he's the one everybody wants to talk about, and quite rightly. Um, and he's Bruce is killer, though. I, I, well, I, I, well, he, he, there's more <laughs> to say about him. I mean, more about yeah, him. Yeah, he lasted a bit longer. I mean, Wallace is exceptional. I mean, he's un, he is he's, he's he's unbelievable in the sense that every most nations have someone like this, but half the time they're mythical. And in a way, Wallace is mythical, but he actually did exist. And we have documents and we have things to prove. The problem is that all the, the things you do want to know about him, the documents won't really tell you. And, and, and people think they know him from the stories that, that grew up about him. And most of those stories were an amalgam of stories from the wars uh, that were told that get wrapped up into the Superman. Uh, William Wallace and, and you know the Wallace which is the book that was produced in you know 150 years after his death in in the um, the 15th century that um, is so powerful because it, it formed the basis of Braveheart um, but you know you can you can show that actually that had nothing to do with Wallace that event was some completely different completely different place place completely different folk completely different time probably in the time mm. of Bruce um, so 
it, it is a, he is a problem. I, I mean, at the same time, um, you know, I just have a, I have a feeling because when I was writing the, the the book about Bruce, ironically, and somebody else said this that I got to read it. Wallace actually comes out a little bit more clearly because you're looking at Wallace from a distance. He's doing stuff, but your focus, mm -hmm. my focus, was on Bruce. And mm -hmm. um, the impression you get about Wallace is he really, really didn't care about noble politics. Uh, mm -hmm. He really couldn't care less. In fact, he almost certainly thought it was a complete waste of time. Um, so, you know, you get a point in 1299 where you've got two guardians, because Wallace himself, of course, had to give up after Falkirk. Uh, so you've got John Common of Badenoch, the son of the, his father's still alive, but in capacity. Yeah. So that's nephew of King John. Um, and Robert Bruce, the younger, the grandson of the competitor, who, the future king. And, yeah. and that is basically the two political factions in Scotland. The, it's the common faction that are far, far more powerful. I mean, young Bruce mm. is only there because he, he managed to step in when the, the, the commons were out the way in the immediate aftermath of the conquest. Um, so he's kind of keeping the family's flame alive, if you like, uh, in Scotland. Uh, but very quickly he's shunted out of the way because he just isn't politically powerful enough. Um, so, you know, they, they're having argy-bargy. They're, they're seizing one of the other and punch-ups and peebles, um, you know, which probably happens every other day, but uh, I don't know peebles. <laughs> um, that is not true. Peebles is a very nice place. Um, and um, so uh, that's all going on. And, and they're arguing over Wallace uh, because Wallace is planning to go to the continent and John Common, or at least one of his um, men, accuses Malcolm Wallace, well, um, William's brother, uh, who's in the retinue of the, of the Earl of Carrick, the future king, uh, that, that, that Wallace is going away to the continent um, to, and, and if, you know, that he shouldn't be doing this. It's treachery, lacy majesty and all this, which is probably, which is probably the common suspecting that, that William Wallace is going to the continent to argue for a Bruce um, king. That's probably what they're worried about. Um, I don't think William had any intention of that. He goes to visit John Balliol, and um, we know that because when he's captured in in, in thirteen, um, when he's captured in thirteen five, he has a safe conduct from John Balliol with him, and, he, and there's no other point at which he could have got that other than when he went to the continent uh, around twelve ninety nine thirteen hundred. So he visited Balliol who had been released from English custody by that time. He was in France at the time, wasn't he? He is in France, initially in papal custody. I know that, that doesn't slightly make pretense, but the Pope has some nice um, estates in France, as you do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not like jealous Balliol did like the finer things in life as well. Well, he wasn't well, left with much. Well. He, he was desperate <laughs> to get his English lands back. Absolutely desperate. Yeah. You know, he'd lost almost everything. I mean, he must have gone, sorry, remind me why I went in for that contest again. <laughs> that was really stupid. <laughs> I mean, he really was reduced to what his family had started with. You know, when they'd gathered, I mean, his father, John Balliol, um, was the richest man in England. Um, the king, Henry III, was, was desperately jealous of him, you know. And so, you know, he had lost, we forget about that. He had lost pretty much everything yeah. in this. In this um, escapade. So Wallace, anyway, back to Wallace. So uh, yeah, as I say, the nobles may have, John Common may have thought that, that Wallace ha ha took a side. Wallace himself did not. Wallace himself, I think, knew perfectly well that opening the whole issue of the kingship 
was tantamount to just handing Scotland over to Edward I because you know you just don't you haven't got time and energy for that nonsense. Um, Balliol had been inaugurated as king, Balliol was the king and it was a question of getting him back and that's what Wallace did even though his brother, as I say, was in, in, in the retinue of the Earl of Carrick. So um, I think he just got on with it. Um, it did what needed to be done, uh, as far as he saw it, um, and ignored everything else. And, and I think that is, that's pretty modern, if you see what I mean. I mean, yeah, not, yeah. Not all the politicking goes on now, and people are always taking sides. But, you know, we like, you know we'd like to think that that kind of more abstract um, love of country, you know, that everything else that, you know, that that, that noble politics is dominated by, which is very much about personal relationships, and we can't blame them for that. That's that's what their society was about. Um, they swore homage and fealty to a man, not to an abstract concept of 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 an independent Scotland. It was very hard mm. for them to think like that. Um, Pope was telling them that wasn't a very good thing for them to be thinking. So, you know, they 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 had a difficulty in seeing beyond individuals. Wallace as probably someone who was in the sort of middling sort. So he's not a peasant, but he's um, he's the the younger son of a small landowner. Um, he, he did seem to be able to cut to the chase in terms of, I'm fainting for Scottish independence, and this, you know, I don't really care about most of the other things that go with that, if you're a nobleman. Um, and, and uh, you know, it is remarkable that he um, came from almost well, nowhere. He really came from nowhere. Um, with Andrew Murray, whom we do tend to forget. Um, and then yeah, I it, always, I've always thought that Andrew Murray is very unfairly forgotten. Mm, yes, because because uh, I think even at um, like even with the the battle at Stirling Bridge, I think Murray's Murray was the guy who was in charge. It's essentially, if you wanted to kind of put a hierarchy on it, I suppose. I think I always get this impression that Murray was actually sort of the the leader of it at that point. Wallace was kind of like number two, almost. Yeah, I mean, um, it's impossible. I mean, I'd love to have been, you know, in in the the camp, the Scottish camp, the night before the mm -hmm. battle. I mean, these are two young men um, who both individually. Um, engaged in guerrilla tactics. In Andrew Murray's case, he was captured at Dunbar and escaped from prison and came back to his father. His father's still in the Tower of London and came back and raised his own family's estate, you know, the men of that estate. Wallace um, must have had a small group of men to begin with. And I think a lot of the Scottish nobility collaborated with Wallace. Wallace was the front, if you like, for Free Scotland because the Scottish mm -hmm. nobility were being watched by Edward I and couldn't, after the defeat at Dunbar, couldn't um, you know, do anything without repercussions. So they probably sent their men on the quiet to Wallace to, to train in Selkirk Forest. Um, so both of them had had uh, some success. They, they, they did find it difficult to take castles without siege equipment, and you know, but they, mm. they they used the terrain and what have you. So yeah, they came and they came together. And there must have been I don't know monks or some people going around communicate. I mean, I mean, Andrew Murray and, and William Wallace came together in some way. They must have known they were each of the existence of the other and said, I'll meet you there and, and uh, I'll go down to meet. You know, you see, you have to think about people, messengers crisscrossing the country and, you know, spreading the word. Um, and, and the nobility certainly helped with that. Um, so, um, yeah, so they came together. Uh, and yeah, how did they organise themselves? How, did, they, did they argue about strategy? Did they did, did they 
I mean, obviously, Andrew Murray is of a superior rank to, to Wallace. Um, but uh, yeah, how did it work? I mean, it's Wallace who, who's named in the English chroniclers when it comes to Stirling Bridge. But I think that's just because Andrew Murray, of course, dies pretty much um, at, just after the battle, certainly from wounds, isn't, isn't in any position to, 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 to lead after, after the actual battle. So it's, mm -hmm. it's unfortunate that we, we don't now know what would have happened. I mean, I think it was a real constitutional crisis after Stirling Bridge for the Scots without Murray. Because that would, you know, you could see there would have been joint guardianship. And it's really rare to have a, a single guardian. Very, very mm. rare Scottish history. Mm. Um, and, um, you know, so the two of them would have made some sense and, and would have made Wallace palatable. Um, but, of course, Murray dies. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, Murray certainly had, Murray was a bit more of a kind of a, a landowner and, in a way, so he was. Oh, yeah. He had more money, more in the ways of of actual men and stuff like that. Whereas I think you kind of get the impression that Wallace just kind of picks picks people out. Yes, <laughs> or like I think, they, you know, just I, kind of wandering sure. around. And someone finds him and he's like, I, I, <laughs> "Do you fancy?" I, I, I'll, I'll come. I'll come along for the ride. Why not? You know? <laughs> but I do think that men were being sent to him because the yeah, Scottish right. the, the Scottish noblemen couldn't come out themselves. I mean, they'd just been defeated. Um, you know. Yeah, they, they, I mean, some of them did. Obviously, Robert Bruce did with Robert Wisher and James the Steward, and they would have had their own men, but then they submitted. And um, the commons were sent, they were sort of on gardening leave in England, or some of them were in prison, um, and they were sent back to deal with Murray. Uh, and they sort of, they, <laughs> they're so funny. They say, uh, oh, we're really sorry, but Andrew, we couldn't do anything about it because Andrew Murray, he disappeared into a bog, and you know, our horses couldn't couldn't um, follow them there. And you think, well, these are the commons who were sent by kings of Scots in previous generations to do exactly that, to, to, to um, uh, bring the north or parts of the north into more um, strict royal control. And they never had any problems with bogs and horses. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. they're just completely, oh, I'm really sorry, but we couldn't manage to do that. Um, yeah, they're just being pathetic. And then, of course, they do, they do, um, they do show their true colours. The English weren't fooled. I mean, they really knew that most of the Scots were not convinced at all that uh, anything had changed. Hmm. Uh, right. Do you think, or, 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 or is there any evidence anywhere to say that Bruce and Wallace ever had any form of a relationship? I think there's a Excuse few me. <laughs> probably quite badly written sources to say that, for example, that Bruce might have been at Falkirk, for example. Bruce, well, Bruce wasn't at Falkirk. His father almost certainly was. No. But that doesn't count, mm. does it? Um, no, Bruce wasn't, at, young Bruce wasn't at Falkirk. Oh, no, in, in a way, technically it does. It does, because I'm, I'm, you, you would then sort of believe that Bruce's father would have been on the side of Edward, which then... No, he was would make sense as to why there will be that that sort of misconception. People just read Robert Bruce on the side of Edward and therefore, okay, that must have been Robert the Bruce. The, the yes, Bruce it's a shame they were there. all the same damn name. You're children tries to make it really easy to, uh, yeah. to, to kind of follow it and even, even then I'm like, oh, which one's this again? You have to give them a number. <laughs> you have to, I do, I end up just giving them a number. Yeah. <laughs> number seven is the king. I 
even <laughs> even Jeffrey Barrow gets that wrong. He calls him Bruce Eight at one point. He's like, no, he's or is he? Actually, I'm getting anyway um <laughs> no bruce wasn't the king the future king was not at falkirk his father almost certainly was um because his father consistently sided with edward the first um while still maintaining the family's right to the throne which might seem a contradiction except you have to keep remembering that the bruce version of scottish kingship was a sub kingship to uh, the english king uh, so he, yeah, he, he was there. Mm -hmm. the, the young Robert had rebelled earlier in 1297 um, and submitted, but he was supposed to hand over his daughter Marjorie, who's tiny. She's only a toddler, mm -hmm. um, and he never did. And there are big question marks over exactly how loyal he was. And he never. He keeps getting told to come and swear homage and fealty again, and he doesn't. Um, so he's kind of sitting out um, for this period. Uh, he's, you know, he, so he's not, he's not at Stirling Bridge and he's not at Falkirk, but immediately after Falkirk, he burns air. And this is him coming back into the political arena. And he, well, he must burn air because he knows that Wallace's spell as guardian is over. So who's going to be next? Mm -hmm. And of course it's him um, uh, that's next. Um, Mr. Common. And it's not often that people to go from the, the winning side to the losing side. <laughs> so, yeah, I, again, I think from what um, a lot of what I kind of read about Bruce beforehand is that he was quite a, he was almost kind of quite selfish in a way, or, or the way in which he's portrayed was to um, basically what we would, I suppose, nowadays call follow the money. Basically, whoever's whoever's got the most money, whoever's got the most land, I'll follow you, and then we can kind of mooch off each other until. And I think we um, have to do we we have to recognise the driving force behind the actions of the the nobility, including kings. Mm -hmm. Their their absolute uh, imperative, this is their duty, is to acquire more, whether that's territory or money yeah. or whatever alexander the alexanders did it they took they wanted the western isles uh so mm -hmm. the Scots, they wanted more of northumberland you know that's what they do that's what keeps the, the men happy um and you know you can then distribute largesse among your 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 followers and and they people say that that's a good thing uh, so what edward's doing he sees an opportunity to acquire scotland he would be foolish of him not to take it um and that's what bruce is doing bruce believes that he, his family should be the Kings of Scots. And he's not gonna stop. He is utterly, I mean, Bruce is utterly consistent. Yes, he swapped sides. He swapped sides in order to keep that goal of the kingship in, you know, in, in play. Um, so, you know, I have, that's what he does. He's very good at it as well. You know, his father is mm -hmm. just kind of, well, I'll just sit and wait and I'm sure Edward will give it to me one day. <laughs> Whereas Bruce is yeah. going, no, I'm not waiting. <laughs> Am I right in saying that, um, so obviously I know that, that um, Robert Bruce was, you know, friends with Edward in a way. Did, did they not yes. fight together in the, like, the did they not go on crusade together or something? went on crusade. No, oh, hang on a minute. The grandfather. I'm trying to remember no, which one was. I think it was the grandfather who went. And 
the middle one was going to go but get told to stay and that's when they managed to secure Carrick right because oh. the, it's a good quite a good story in 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 acre in in uh, well en route to the holy land um this guy adam of Knucker, as they do say it in fife it looks like Kilconquer. yep he yep. died I've, I've been there a few You've times been there. you've been playing the golf have you <laughs> no, no, I, I used to be a chauffeur, so I used to, <laughs> I've been all over the, like the most random places in, in Perthshire, Aberdeenshire, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, plenty random around here. Um, anyway, he dies out in Crusade, and, and Brucey, the competitor, knows this, and immediately sends back to Junior, his son, and says, cause, because um, Adam of, of Knucker was married to... Um, Marjorie of Carrick. So there's an earldom going a begging, and the Bruce's, of course, don't have one. Um, and so uh, then there's that stupid romantic story about how um, the younger Bruce, the middle one, was uh, hunting or, you know, cavorting in some fashion near Lady Marjorie's castle. And she looked out and she just fell instantly in love with him and went and sort of brought him into her castle. And that was that all utter nonsense because of course that led to the birth of of the future king um no it was a, it was a real estate deal they did it and alexander was really annoyed with them because they hadn't asked earldoms are not just for nobles to arrange amongst themselves it's the king to give that uh, so he basically but he told them to pay a large amount of money and it was fine <laughs> so that's that's, that's how usually that are. <laughs> large amount of money i'll feel better sounds about right sounds about right um so uh oh i had a good i had a good line after that but I, it's, it's totally can't have been that good oh no, that happens to me all the time <laughs> <laughs> i used to do that when i was on tour all the time i'd used to be like sort of like halfway through something and then be like what was i actually talking about three hours ago that spurred <laughs> this whole thing um uh, so yeah, I think um, the the film. I, I mean, I'm I'm I, I like films, documentaries, and, and stuff mm. like that. I think the, the the film Outlaw Outlaw King. I thought personally, I thought it was pretty good. Like uh, as a as a piece of entertainment. I oh, mean, yeah, certainly what it is. when when you've got when you've got you know sort of like and, and in terms of like historical accuracy as well i think you've got kind of braveheart is way <laughs> below the scale um and then obviously kind of I, I think i think they did pretty well with it um but was the the, the sort of the the portrayal of bruce was that was that kind of oh, fair in that the, film or, no, or is the, it just uh, i mean i think most filmmakers view of historical accuracy is that they get the armor and the weaponry, right? <laughs> Politics well, and the personalities. Yeah, the, Forget well, the Braveheart it. didn't even manage to get that. No, 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 that's <laughs> true. That's true. <laughs> Indeed. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's the real problem I have is, why not have Bruce as he was, which is an utterly ruthless, ambitious man? You know, the, mm. I mean, Chris Pine did his best, but, you know, it was almost like, oh, oh, Oh yes, I think it would be right if I became king. <laughs> for God's sake, you've just yeah, spent yeah. the previous ten years struggling for this moment, and and you know, 
And, you know, I mean, why not have, I mean, I was uh, more recently, I've been saying this. I mean, it, Robert Bruce was Macbeth. His vaulting ambition was so evident from the word mm. go. The minute from, he's quite young. Well, he's not young by middle ages standards, but by now, you know, he is, how old is he? When Scotland gets taken over. Um, well, he's, he's, 50, he's nearly 30. Is he 54, 55 when he dies? Seven, so that's so 1329. He's born in 74. Mass is not my strong point. So he's only 22 at the conquest. That's right, 1296. Yeah, he's only 22. So he's still quite young. Um, and um, and it's also permanent. And one of the things that I think I did discover in the Outlooking book was that, uh, sorry, this is nothing to do with the film, um, was that uh, it looks as if the Bruce's lost all their lands in Scotland during the reign of John Balliol, which hasn't mm. generally been um, accepted. There's, there's a, it's quite clear that there's this, the shenanigans that the Bruce's, because there is no end to what they will do, especially Bruce the competitor. If there is a wee, if there's a wheeze that he can think of, he will apply it. And what he does after he knows that Bailey will become king is this strange thing of land and title. So he keeps the Lordship of Annandale, which is the core Bruce estates in Scotland. His son is Earl of Carrick, but he hands over Carrick, the earldom, to his son, the future king. So the one in the middle has no lands in Scotland. He has the claim to the throne. And that's so that he doesn't have to swear homage and fealty to Balliol and can therefore legitimately pursue that claim to the throne. Because once you've done that swearing, you shouldn't do that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, so that's what's, what happens. And so, of course, everyone does have to swear homage and fealty to, to Balliol. And noticeably, Robert Bruce, the Earl of Carrick, the middle one, hasn't. So there's a summons put out. And it's the younger one, the youngest one, who goes to the parliament and says, really sorry, my dad's passed on Carrick to me. And, and John Bailey will probably, with the commons whispering behind them, go, uh, sorry, uh, well, could you show us the document that says that this transfer has, has taken place? And anyway, it's not, again, because remember, the ultimate of Carrick was only by right of Countess Marjorie. It wasn't Bruce's. It's mm -hmm. King's gift. To, to ascertain, you know, to decide who, what happens to these elders. Um, so basically the carrot gets taken off. They say, right, well, be handed over to royal officials uh, until you can show. And basically I really want the middle Bruce to come and, you know, come and talk to me about this and possibly yeah. So that's all happened. There's no evidence that, that ever happened, that they came back. And Bruce, the competitor, Annandale, he must have done homage and fealty because he doesn't lose, he's not summoned and he doesn't lose um, Annandale. Mm. But when he dies in 1295, um, the, the Bruce's would have ended up with nothing. And it's quite clear that they are severely indebted because they can't access the revenues of their Scottish estates. They're just dependent on what they have in England. Super rich manners, but nonetheless. Mm. So, um, you know, you can, that also is a sort of seminal. Um, aspect of the upbringing of the future king that he had this great uh, aspiration the family felt they should have been kings and yet they're reduced to, to to not having their their great inheritance in scotland and it is an important inheritance in scotland so that's a very formative as well and so the problem i have with the film any of the films mm. is that he always comes out pathetic you know he always comes out with, oh oh 
what's happening? Oh, mm. I've been wrong. Scotland has been wronged. I will be the one to write it. And I mean, that's, that's absolutely nonsense. I mean, Bruce was ultimately what Scotland needed. He, was, he, was a, mm. he turned into a military leader of genius. And I think that mm. aspect is not, he's not given enough credit for that. All the different things that he did um, to, to really uh, create an army out of nothing that, yeah. that could beat the greatest army in Europe uh, and, and keep beating it. I mean, Edward II had no response to Bruce uh, militarily. Yeah. And and okay, they get, they didn't they went too far in Ireland, but you know it was a phenomenal um, uh, achievement on Bruce's part um, to decide not to to not to fight for a start to get rid of castles. You know, I mean that's a, I mean that's an incredible policy because they're far more used to the English than they were to to the Scots. So all of this, I mean, he basically sat down on any given day and said, okay, what's the best thing to do today? facing this um and unfortunately what, what subsequent scottish leaders did was what did bruce do at bannockburn again oh yeah let's just do that no matter what we're facing whether it's guns or whatever i mean it's just like oh god you really haven't learned yeah. that lesson so he, he is he he was absolutely incredible as a military leader and obviously that's what scotland needed but he also inflicted incredible hardship on other scots is that was a civil war and we don't talk about that. We don't talk about the fact that he's waging a civil war as much as a national war. Yeah, yeah, I think, um, was that was that for like about two years following the murder of Common? Is that sort well, of... there was, well, you could argue that he, he was fighting it all his life in that, um, yes, you're right, actively, I mean, what Edward, the big mistake Edward II made was not to come back to Scotland immediately because that gave Bruce time to tackle the commons in their heartland, which is was um, across the north, basically. I mean, they have lands everywhere, but Buchan, Badenoch, Lochaber, these are, so that swayed up the Great Glen and across towards Aberdeenshire is all the heartland of common territory. And I mean, the hairship of Buchan basically meant that the fire and sword. People were killed, their, their possessions, their houses, everything destroyed. Um, that was Scots against Scots. Um, and Bruce, Oregon, you know, he ordered that, uh, which is every bit as bad as anything that Edward I did. Mm. So, um, you know, he, he did that because he knew he had to be, and, and that basically sent a whole trail of refugees. And that's, again, another aspect war we don't talk about the refugees who were against Bruce for good reason because of the murder of John Connor mm. um, they all had to, to, to go off to England but they're still fighting they're still fighting against Bruce they're particularly fighting in the Western Isles and uh, the McDougal's over there again brother and Lord to Balliol um, so that's all still happening and of course many of them John Common's son dies at Bannockburn so we're trained to, to see that as, well, what did he expect? He's on the wrong side. But the man killed his father. <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. which side would you be on? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. You, wouldn't, you wouldn't be standing next to him on his right-hand side going, no. let's give it to them, you know? Yeah, exactly. Definitely. So, and then all the people who, who really, who thought that Bruce was a murdering usurper with good reason, all yeah. of them were... For, where he was, were forced as a result of Bannockburn to accept Bruce's king because they said they would be permanently forfeited. So they mm. did accept him, but their hearts weren't in it. And then in 1320, there's a plot to assassinate Bruce because Edward Balliol, John Balliol's son, was, mm -hmm. you know, at liberty to, they thought he was the rightful king. And they were right by many, you know, by, <laughs> um, 
by the strict rule of, of, of law, he was the rightful king. Um, but too much water had flowed under the bridge, you know, to make, because um, with, with an Edward Balliol kingship came Edward II as well. So yeah, that yeah. wasn't acceptable. So, you know, you've got some, I, mean, I think this is what really annoys me about the films, because it feeds into, to, to, to my mind, something that's just too simplistic. If we think that most of these decisions were easy, I think we fail to understand. Just as in modern politics, sometimes choices are not easy, you know, and, mm. and, and they can pit family against family. And, you know, we've seen this. And this sort of um, blanket assumption that my way is the right way and your way is the wrong way, um, it applies in the past too. Families were split um, apart. Um, and people who had fought long and hard for Scottish independence in the first phase had no choice but to side against Bruce, which meant, unfortunately, they therefore had to side for Edward II. They didn't want to do that. It's Bruce that had made them do that. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's the difficulty. And, you know, people nowadays judge decent folk in the past um, for doing what their consciences told them to do. Some of them would be you know, would be doing it for nefarious reasons, I'm sure. But let's think about what Bruce was doing and why he was doing it. And he wasn't necessarily really doing it for Scotland. <laughs> it just happened that Scotland's interests and his collided. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I think I think another um, sort of big, big one is, did Bruce go to Greyfriars to <laughs> kill Common or just to have a conversation. Just have a wee chat. And I think there's another um, there's another thing to say as well that um, it wasn't actually Bruce that dealt the final blow. I mean, I, I think I think in 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 all intents and purposes, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> but um, was it was it not like a, a Farquharson or something like that? Kirkpatrick. Uh, Kirkpatrick, Kirkpatrick went to Maxica. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Or so, so says. So, so says the Bruce propaganda. Well, yeah, yeah. So that, that's see that that's why, like, when you when you sort of look back into history and stuff like that, it's always it's always fun. I'd I would rather know the absolute truth, but it's like <laughs> it's it nice. is also quite fun playing around with the with the with the kind of stories. Yeah. Uh, so, in your in your opinion, did did Bruce right. go to eliminate? common on that on that day or yeah. was that uh was that just an unfortunate incident? I I now, there are many historians wouldn't agree with me so this is my opinion but it's it is through looking at what happened in the lead up to that fateful February day I believe he went there to kill him because now the reason why I think this bear with me <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm bearing I'm, you're bearing I'm, you're bearing up okay yeah. so let's go back to 1304 um, and the Siege of Stirling. Stirling, of course, is the last Scottish-held castle in the reconquest of Scotland that Edward achieves in that year, in 1304. Remembering that Robert Bruce, the future king, had already submitted two years earlier. John Common remains guardian. He's pretty much sole guardian for the last few years. Um, and he's the one that um, negotiates with the English uh, for the rest of the Scots to submit around um, New Year 1304. 
uh, as Edward, because he went over the fourth for the first time into what had been free Scotland. Okay, so they're all, it's a big law and order exercise uh, to, to the Scots and the English do together. Well, they don't have anything to do. It's the engineers who are throwing things at Stirling Castle. So they're all shimmying around. Robert Bruce is there and he hears of the death of his father in April, early April. Within a day or so, he has made an agreement with William Lamberton, the Bishop of St Andrews, of some unspecified relationship, that enterprise that they might undertake, um, failing which a very large sum would be paid by the defaulter, and not, there's no mention of their loyalty to King Edward. Now, mm. some people say that, oh, that's just, you know, they haven't, um, Bruce needed Lamberton, Lamberton's very important. No, Bruce is the one in the ascendancy at this point. He's the one that's been at King Edward's peace. He's the one who's sent, along with other um, nobles, to, to round up Wallace and Simon Fraser, all those Scots who hadn't yet um, submitted. So he's the king's man. He's Sheriff of Ayr, he's Sheriff of Lanark for Edward the um, First. He's uh, the main man in Scotland at this point. So to my mind, that, that um, unspecified enterprise is the throne of Scotland. Uh, I can't prove that, but it seems highly likely because it, it, the sums involved for defaulting are so huge. There's no obvious reason why Bruce would need Lamberton's support for anything other than the Crown of Scotland. Um, you know, why would they do that? Anyway, uh, that, that's all successful. Um, and then Edward turns his mind to the settlement of Scotland. How exactly is Scotland going to be run? run? He's not very well at this point, Edward. Everybody knows this. Mm -hmm. um, that's also important. So in 1305, there's three Scots, Robert Bruce, Earl of Carrick, Robert Wishart, Bishop of Glasgow, who is a pro-Bruce supporter, and John Mowbray, who is pro-Common. He's very close to John Common of Badenoch. Obviously, Common of Badenoch, having led the Scots, isn't allowed back in yet, but he does have a representative because Edward realises how important the Commons are. Um, so these three men are in London, and they're sent back to Scotland to organise an assembly of Scots to choose from among them a number of representatives to go to a parliament in London. It would have been in Scotland, but Edward is not well enough to come back. Uh, and they're going to help to, set, to decide how Scotland's going to be governed. So this is Edward being magnanimous and, and, and accepting that he may be mocked up in the first instance in excluding the Scots. So anyway, they, these three go back up to Scotland. And that's when I think Robert Bruce goes, oh dear, possibly not in those words, uh, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> He's been out of Scottish politics since 1300-1301. This is now 1305. John Common has led the Scots. John Common, don't forget, is nephew of King John. He is King John's nearest relative still in Scotland. Edward Bailey was in prison in England. Big yeah. John himself is in France. Uh, there's a genealogy put out through St Andrews about how illustrious and royal John Common is. John Common and his supporters are almost all the nominees to the Parliament in London for the settlement of Scotland. Bruce is not one. Robert Wishart is not one. Uh, so they're all pro, almost all, not all, but they're pro a common guys. So Bruce realises that his political star is still is on the wane in Scotland and Edward he knows or it's made very clear 
Edward acquiesces with this because Edward knows he cannot really run Scotland without the Commons. That's been proved in the, in the previous period. So he, he's, he goes, well, you know, what, I don't really need Bruce, actually. Um, so um, Bruce is, is, I think what happens here is that Bruce realises Edward doesn't have long to go. Mm. Once he's gone, all the Scots can choose who they give their oaths of loyalty to. And he is also probably persuaded that John Common of Badoch will take the throne. And that, that for me, explains something that I've always found very difficult about that Dean Greyfriars. Why did he not wait? Because if he'd waited till Edward was dead, then he could have made the bid for the throne and, and you wouldn't have had all this kind of, yeah, this real difficulty with people having to choose who, um, you know, they've already sworn homage and fealty to Edward. They're not going to break that oath. Uh, why did he not wait? And it's because if he'd waited, John Common would have become king. So that's why he had to, to, to take a preemptive action. Uh, and that's what he did at Greyfires. He knew he had to take him out. He knew that he was going to have the Commons come down in him like a ton of bricks because they are so powerful. And there is a suggestion that Bruce had actually sent word to Edward, probably saying, okay, Look, um, I'll do you a deal. I will become king under you, and you protect me from the commons. Because because Bruce had no choice. He the only thing he could do was become king. Otherwise, because he had no authority to bring out armies. You know, he was a dead man. Um, mm. So, I think what he did was was say to Edward, right, you're the only one that can protect me from the commons, really. Um, but I'm going to be king. So whether you like it or not, he probably calculated that given how ill Edward was, he's not going to want to start the war again. He only just settled it. it was settled in September 1305. This is February 1306. <laughs> you know? So um, he probably thought, well, maybe that's a deal that Edward might accept. But of course, Edward is not. He doesn't care how ill he is. He's going to drag his carcass back up to Scotland if need be. So mm. um, it's, it's, it's a miscalculation and a profound calculation on Bruce's part. Um, because he knows he will miss his opportunity. He knows he's a political has-been. He, he realises that, um, that, that the Commons have it all sewn up. Um, and, and if he doesn't move now, he never. It's, it's, it's game over, completely game over. So to my mind, it doesn't make sense. I mean, what would they talk about? Why would they meet? Some people have said, oh, it's about uh, something to do with a land dispute. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, they yeah. were not talking about land disputes. They were talking about the only thing that was really in people's minds. Given how ill Edward was, what happens next? Yeah. So even even thinking that of where Greyfriars is as well, like that's a long way away from common country. Well, no, because he has Dalswinton, which is just up the road. And that's where oh, Bruce right. Dalswinton, that's where that's where John Common was. He would be at Dalswinton. Ah. Uh, so and, and and immediately Bruce takes Dalswinton and Tibbers because um, Sir John Sir Richard Seward is a he's the sheriff of Dumfries and he's pro common he's a common um, man no no the the the, um, the commons have have tentacles everywhere so although their their main lands and wealth are in the north they they they, they yeah that's not a problem for them um so obviously your boot about Bruce and is called Traitor Outlaw King. Oh, can't think I why. Sorry. Think... <laughs> <laughs> I think um, <laughs> after an eleven. There was there was quite a there was quite a few. I, again, I do remember reading a few like news articles and stuff like that. I think there was a few 
um, revelations that I think that even the Scottish press didn't quite get along with. I think the main one was... But I, that um, is not news. That, uh, that is well, so I know. News. I know, <laughs> I'm not the first it, to say it. It brought, it brought it to my attention, I think. It's what the, the journalists... Uh, the journalist read the book, and I was trying to push the business about um, Bruce being fostered into Gaelic-speaking um, family. I was trying to push this business about them losing their lives. No, the thing he went for was that he was born and probably born in Essex. <laughs> I was big in Essex. <laughs> so I'm sorry. I just said what I think a lot of historians assume is probably almost certainly true, which has been known in Essex for a long time. In fact, there's yeah. even a plaque down there. <laughs> so it's just that, yes, that's the thing that everybody goes for. He's an Essex boy. Well, if, if anyone is thinking that, that that's a problem, I mean, I don't see there being a problem with that because, you know, I mean, ultimately, what did what did he do for Scotland? What did yeah. he do for England, and what did he do for Scotland? So, yeah. I think that, again on the on the ski on the skills, <laughs> I think uh, I think Scotland kind of won won on that one. And, and I mean, even the chances, even if he was born down there, he he spent most of his life up here anyway. Oh, what does it matter? I mean, I was born in Edinburgh, but yeah. you know, I don't let that hold me back. <laughs> I was born in Livingston, so. Oh, were you? <laughs> well, anybody else wants to write in and tell us where they were born? born. <laughs> I, th I think Bangower was actually uh, listed as Broxburn. I think my passport oh, says I was born in Broxburn, but it's actually closer to Uphall than it is. Oh, yeah. Actually, Fair closer enough. to Bathgate than it is to Broxburn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, what I can think. We do? Well, yeah, I, I, I used to, um, my dad used to take me up the Basket Hills quite a lot. Uh, like uh, when me and my brother were younger, um, we used to go to, was it, is it Wallace Hill? Oh, right. uh, Where apparently, uh, well, I, I don't know whether this is complete and utter nonsense or not. It pro <laughs> probably is. There's like a hill and it's got like this kind of nice divot out the side of it. And oh. apparently Wallace, Wallace hid in that hill. It's from, really on down, from, yes. In that hole, uh, yeah. after, after Falkirk. But, I mean, it, it, it would make sense because the Basket Hills aren't that far away from Yeah, Falkirk. but that's going the wrong way, isn't it? I mean, you wouldn't be going towards where the English would be, would you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm missing quite the other way. Exactly. So, Go west so for a, re a revelation, on my, it's, my, it's my dad's 60th birthday today as well. So oh, I, I happy think, birthday. A nice wee revelation for him uh, would be, uh, yeah, you, you, you told me a lot of lies when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what, that's their job. I think, um, I think another, another sort of Brucey story, which is, um, I, again, I, I think it's pretty much guaranteed that it was made up, uh, would be Walter Scott's um, spider story. Mm. Um I think I, I remember my dad telling me that story when I was about oh, five. How have we? Oh, sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I think my dad told me that story when I was about five or something like that. Uh, what was it that made you sort of like really kind of focus on? That sort of period of history, you know, the, the the sort of the medieval period of history, and like I say, for for me, you know, I'm I'm in my thirties now. I think it's a bit too late for me to go back to university or and well, I don't even think I would get into university. Oh, why not? <laughs> Trust me, I tried back when it? I was uh, when I was a lot younger. I think you'd be uh, absolutely fine. Um, um, well, I was I grew up in Dunfermline, 
So mm-hmm. um, Bruce is there. That, that, to, to me, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. When I was young, I was very romantic about my history, and you know, I love Mary Queen mm-hmm. Scots. Read up everything about her, and you know, Bruce. I just, I just, it was the romance of Scottish history. You know, you know the, the, the the sort of great personalities um, that you know s- suffered and um, you know had terrible, endured terrible things and were done down or what have you, all of that kind of negative um, aspects of Scottish history, which, you know, good stories. They're really good stories. And, you know, um, I didn't get Scottish history at school. I got one, I did, we did, one history teacher in second year at high school um, did tell, talk to us about the Wars of Independence, which makes sense given that we are in Dunfermline. You know, we got mostly English history, even when we were doing British history. That old chestnut, and you know, we did. We got a wee bit about Mary Queen of Scots, but it was all through reading myself, most or mostly reading myself. I get to take into Bannockburn um, mm-hmm. when I was in primary school, and that was important. Um, so I was, you know, I just, I just kind of really um, loved the stories um, uh, and the romance of it, uh, and I did, I did medieval history at St Andrews. Because um, I don't like modern history, I'm really sorry. I just don't. I don't. I like the detective work of the earlier period, where you've got to kind of take disparate pieces of information. Uh, totally frustrating a lot of the time because you don't have what you want. Um, you know. You, you, whereas the modern period, you're sifting through so much, and you kind of get through it all. You know that for me, I, yeah. I, I don't like that. I like the detective work, and that's just that's just me. So you know, I enjoyed my medical history. I did my PhD, and I I, I really enjoyed that. My supervisor Archie Duncan was just fantastic, um, and it was a real privilege to have that time to um, to just devote to research. Um, and 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 then you know you kind of. Yeah, you do get older and more cynical about motivation, and 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 well, I don't know. You you just then end up with the complexity of it all, and that there's no simple answers, no no rights and wrongs. Well, there are rights and wrongs, but a lot of it isn't. Um, it's not what you thought it was when you were younger, which is annoying, you know, because you know that's the way it goes. You know, the the weird the Scots didn't always come. Is it out. annoying though when it when is it annoying though when like it's like. This this the story which you which you thought was like oh this this is this is not even a story I mean you know like you just sort this is amazing and then it's yeah. like oh no wait a minute like well, now, now now we've got more evidence to say that it wasn't quite as exciting exciting uh, no but it always is it, I always think it's more exciting because it's more complicated you know and the uh, more complicated it is for me now the more interesting it is when it's just a straight black and white. That's not interesting to me. If it's straight black and white, then everyone tells the same story. Yeah, exactly so. Um, and, and, then, cause, cause, and then then that sort of period of history, you could just you could literally just kind of close the book on it. It's like it's never gonna, um, it's never gonna. It's like even with so like if you go back to, I know exactly what you were saying about sort of the modern history. So even just kind of like just again choosing the Jacobites as an example. There was writings everywhere. There was newspaper articles. There was mm. books written at the time. There was, you know, the stories were all sort of passed down. Um, you know, I mean, there's even a there's even a website out there that can tell you exactly where Bonnie Prince Charlie was every single day after the Battle of Culloden. Tell you exactly what, probably even down to what he was wearing. You know, the, what what color he had for his tea. Wearing, yeah. and what he had for his tea. You know, when was the last time he went for a swim? 
<laughs> yeah, no, that, that sort of thing. Whereas what I like most about the medieval history is like, I like, and I always have sort of like the, the bit when you reach that sort of period and it's like, the answer to this question, we don't know, but it can go either this way or this way. And, and obviously as a, as a tour guide, not necessarily as a historian in any way, because I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not. Um, but as a tour guide, you, you start, like for me, I would always sort of say, I would always give sort of both, but I would always ham up the more interesting one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I would, al- I would always, you know, so it's like telling, telling the story of Bruce and his spider. It probably didn't happen, but here's the most amazing story that you've ever heard. Oh, no, and it's, it just sums them up. <laughs> in actual fact, the, the spider story was first, taught, was first written down about James Douglas, not about Bruce. I, did uh, did kind of read something about that? Yeah, it was I, I remember once telling that um, that story on a tour, and someone said, "I heard the same story about Abraham Lincoln." <laughs> and really? I was like, "Okay." Well, I, I don't know where. I, I don't think Abraham Lincoln ever sort of would have ever been in a cave randomly. Uh, <laughs> it would be in a little cabin. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, uh, James James Douglas. I was I, I've read. Um, is it David David R. Ross? I read his book, the um, the good was it the good the black? Oh, Douglas, Did I think was the name that? of the book. It's, it's sort of it was. Uh, it is motorbike I don't thing. think it was. I don't think it was quite a big thick book. Something mm. tells me it was quite a really like almost that. like one. Uh, like almost like one that you would. I, I bought it at Bannockburn. I do remember right. buying it at Maribor. Um and that gives in, in, in certainly from what I've read so far, because obviously I haven't managed to get that far in your book yet. But um, just the killing of um, Henry de Bone at Bannockburn <laughs> gives one of the most incredible um, things. So when I used to take people to Bannockburn, um, I would always sort of tell that story. I would make my own sort of little version of it, but just the way in which uh, uh, that was told, I always I, I did like that. But I think James Douglas, as well, I suppose, kind of gave, kind of really gave us that that Braveheart phrase, didn't he? From what, from again, whether that was again just written nonsensically or not, I don't know. But uh, well, there's there's a lot. I mean, I mean, Douglas was amazing. I mean, he was a bit of a thug, but that was really needed at the time. Um, mm. And of course, there's an awful lot of, of problems in terms of the history of, of what James Douglas did, because a lot of it was written at a time when his descendants were becoming really powerful as Earls of Douglas. Um, and so you get, because Edward Bruce, for example, the king's brother, he his line died out. Um, so you can slag him off because there's nobody to <laughs> get offended. Same with Thomas Randolph, the king's nephew. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, his line died out, so there's nobody at the court of Robert II and Robert III to go. All right, that's my ancestor. You're distant. Um, so, so he he doesn't. He probably doesn't. Um, he doesn't feature as prominently in the Bruce, for example, as Douglas does. Um, mm. Despite the fact that, that that Randolph almost certainly did more and was more important at the time. Mm. So you've got to be careful of that. Um, and and James Douglas. Uh, Bannockburn is particularly tricky because um, 
Barbara Spruce gives James Douglas command of one of the divisions. There's, there's a phantom fourth division that, that right. um, Douglas and I think Walter Stewart supposedly had. They didn't. Walter Stewart, of course, is the progenitor of the Stuart dynasty. It's his son, is Robert mm. II, because um, he marries Marjorie Bruce. So um, uh, they, they both, James Douglas and Walter Stewart, need to be put in centre stage as much as they can and bigged up. Um, uh, we, but you, yeah, we, we don't, it's taken us a while to uncover, <laughs> to unpick it again and go, actually, no, they weren't. They were quite young. I mean, James Douglas is not knighted until Bannockburn. He doesn't do a hell of a lot before Bannockburn. Mm. Um, and there's the, the, the famous incident, supposedly, that when Thomas Randolph is it, it's supposedly dealing with uh, Clifford and Bowman coming round the back of the Scots on the first day. Mm. Um, that James Douglas is, you can almost imagine the king sort of holding his collar as Douglas tries to say, please, please let me go and help Randolph. No, 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 you can't go uh, and help him because it would be unchivalrous because that's what Barbara does. Any opportunity to make what is not a chivalrous war look chivalrous, he takes it. Um, mm. But again, I mean, this you've got to ask yourself, is this is this just trying to portray James Douglas in a, in a good light when in actual fact there's nothing in it? Um, it which probably it is. But, but that doesn't mean, I mean, James Douglas is hugely important. I mean, he's given command. He, he basically is um, in charge in Scotland when a lot of the time when the king uh, is away in Ireland and Robert Bruce is mm. away in Ireland. Thomas Randolph is quite often away. Um, so he is very important. And I, I do have a, 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 an affection for him and the king in their relationship because there's this famous charter. I mean, Douglas got, got lands from Bruce, but they were kind of all brought together in 1323. Everything that the king had given him was put into this big charter. And it's called the Emerald Charter because the king also gave Douglas an emerald which they mm. managed to lose, um, but uh, and there was so there was clearly you know a great bond between them. They you know um, Douglas is younger, much younger, mm. but um, they've been through an awful lot together, and they obviously got on. And and when Bruce's final years, when he had his manor house built at Cardross near Dumbarton, um, Douglas had his own room, and he got to furnish it as they liked, which I think was quite sweet. And um and the king, you know, the two of them were together as much as possible in in the final year of, of Bruce's life. Um and I think that, that that's the kind of thing I really like. It's those personal relationships. You know, the fact that these were real people. Mm. Lord. Amazing, you know, um and and it, accepting them as that, not not cardboard cut out black and white figures you know, who always did what was right. You know, we, we had all that when I was young in the films that we saw, you know, Ben-Hur and all, you know, Spartacus and, you know, totally you knew who was right and you knew who was wrong. I think we've moved on from that. And and for me, that psychological complexity is what I find fascinating. Mm, definitely. Uh, now, it was interesting that you said that because um, there was one other sort of question that popped out. There was one I was trying to get to sleep last night. One of them was... was <laughs> It's like obviously every story is meant to have a good guy and a bad guy and mm. all that sort of thing. Um, was you know out of like looking at it from your perspective, who was who was the bad guy? Who was the good guy out of like say for example Edward and Bruce? Like because uh, uh, I, I always used to sort of say they were as bad as each other. Yeah, they did, they did the same sort of thing, and I think yeah. But all of these movies always and and you know, or any, because it's for entertainment. There's always got yeah. to be a good guy. It's like Batman and the Joker, you know, there's a good know. guy and there's a bad guy. 
but when you sort of when you tear it down, like Batman and the Joker, they're essentially the same guy. <laughs> but in so, your mind, it's like you know, mm. good guy, bad guy. Yeah, um, absolutely. Sort of no, I agree. I mean, they're very similar. I mean, their characters are incredibly similar. Um, and and I mean, it's easy for us, isn't it? We can sit here seven hundred years on, and none of the implications of what either of them did affect us. I mean, yeah. you could say that. Yeah, Scotland survived thanks to Bruce, although it was touch and go in the 1330s after he died, um, and uh, and that obviously had an impact on Scottish history subsequently. But um, yeah, it's, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, how can you possibly say that what that Bruce is is? I mean, it's always amazing to watch these films and see how they get round the murder of Colman. And basically, that's what they do. They say, well, we've basically got to get over that before we get on to you know the real story. Whereas that is the pivotal moment that is the deciding moment and john common is not just some guy who yeah had a bad haircut yeah. or whatever you know he wasn't just some <laughs> bad guy you know he was the leader of this guy it's like it's like somebody killing de gaulle or something you know it's yeah. just like <laughs> it, yeah common's importance never sort of really it, it's almost it's almost sort of like what we were saying about um uh, andrew murray mm. and William Wallace, like Andrew Murray's kind of quite unfairly forgotten for, for various reasons. He died. And, uh, well, yeah. But I mean, before that, like, like he was, he was a major part of like Sterling Bridge. Mm. Major, major part. And, and obviously then the lead up to, to that. And John Common as well. It's not really like, like, especially in Outlaw King, it's, it's very much a case of Bruce is a bit like, well, how are you going to do it's, it's just sort of like it's a bit part of the conversation. How are you going to deal with Common? And it's like, oh, we'll wait and see. Then it's like, stab. And then that's it. <laughs> like, there, there's no there's no kind of real relationship. Like, there, well, there's there's no kind of um, uh, they, they don't show how quite an important no, they can't. The they can't. Because if they did, you can't portray Bruce as good. That's the problem. We need to stop that. Then. Yeah, I know. We need to form a society that free John Common from ridiculous <laughs> bad portrayals in films. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, really. Just, just bad portrayals. It's like, who cares whether or not the person's a bad guy? You know what I mean? It's like, it's like show it for what it really is. You know, like absolutely take those common misconceptions and just and just be like, no, this is this is this is how it was. Yeah. You know, like like Braveheart makes William Wallace out to be this amazing guy, and then it's like, well, no, he burnt down churches, he killed priests, he killed women, he killed children. You know, it's just that's how it went. At the it's time. how it went. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can't be squeaky can't. clean in that kind of environment. You can't. I mean, exactly. you don't need guys who are. You know, you don't need guys who are whiter than white, you need guys who are prepared to get stuck in. And it's just awful. It's absolutely awful. Yeah. And that and as I said right at the beginning, that's what I find so problematic about this period is even though it's so important to Scottish history, less so to English history, it must be said. But it's because the relationship between the two countries had been so good beforehand. And then mm. so quickly. And the minute you've done it, the minute the first atrocity and then the second atrocity is done by one side and then the other, that's it. People don't forget. Um, and you've got more to fight for because of what the others the others did to you, um, and and you can see that across the world. You know, it does not take long. It's like our good reputation is lost in an instant, and gaining it again takes forever. 
It's the same with yeah. war. Once, once, um, the, once friends and neighbors turn on each other, it's really hard to go back. Um, yeah. And 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 that for me is the catastrophe. It's an utter utter catastrophe. And we can all get really gung ho about Bannockburn and what have you, but let's be realistic about the the tragedy of this war and and the terrible things that happened to Scots. Um, you know, and and uh, at the hands of Bruce, um, at the hands of English armies, and the same Scots reciprocated. You know, I mean, and we're talking at a time of deteriorating climate, so harvests were failing in the midst of all of this, um, and a lot of the time Wallace took his men over into the north of England to get food because you didn't want your men to be going eating the food of your own folk because that doesn't make you popular. Um, and yeah. and then the, the, the English retaliated and they came into Scotland and took away stuff that the Irish hated the Scots as much as the English because at yeah. a time of famine they were eating up scarce resources you know yeah. um, so these these are the hard realities um, and you know it might make us feel good to have won a battle but um, I don't think many people felt all that good at the time and, and the repercussions for Scotland it's quite clear from the legislation in King Robert's Parliament that there was a huge amount of disorder in the country for the simple reason that every nobleman had his armed retinue and you know they weren't always asking nicely for stuff you know that mm. the, the, the rule of law almost certainly was less strong because it was a time of war and um, you needed these guys to 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 be on side so um let's just have our eyes open i mean as like you said let, let's tell it like it was and, and and most of the time it was pretty awful <laughs> yeah i've always said there's no such thing as a happy ending <laughs> <laughs> in scottish history whereas everybody thinks there's all these romantic tales there were no worse than anybody. I mean, I mean that, that's another sort of thing I don't like is when people go, oh, Scotland's history is so bloody and muddy and what have you. Which, If you watched your average BBC television series on Scottish history, that's how it comes off. No, it isn't. It's, 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 Scottish history is the same as every other history. Um, you know, if you want to see people murdering each other and how many kings get killed, look at England. Yeah. You know, they have civil war after civil war. We didn't tend to do that. I mean, we got better at it as the time went on. But, um, you know, in general, we, we, we steered away from civil war. Um, so, you know, I don't, I don't like this kind of dissing down Scottish history as much darker and gloomier than anybody else's. It has its moments, but mm -hmm. it's no worse than any other. And Scottish nobility, we're, we're no more fractious and argumentative than any other nation. Maybe we're just better at it, but we're not. We're not. As I say, just have a look at English history and then have a look at French history. And, you know, uh, you know any, any nation, uh, you know, they're all at it. There's differences every step of the way. No nation is homogenous and thinking and speaking with the same voice. That's, of course, that's not true. And anybody, you know, who pretends that it is, is not in the real world, in my, in my opinion. And it's the same with Scottish history. But we are no worse than anybody else. And we should stop dissing ourselves. We should stop doing that. Oh, definitely. Because it's not true. I mean, it's, <laughs> I mean, like, just look at the current situation. I don't want to make a political point, but you know, the idea that Scots are actually incapable of dealing with certain crises isn't standing up. I mean, you know, mm. there are questions to be asked, but so are there questions to be asked out of the border. You know, so mm -hmm. it just depends on the narrative you want to spin. And we've been spun a narrative that says we're rubbish. And I don't think we need to believe it, which doesn't mean that we were the best things in proverbial sliced bread either. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I fully agree.
<laughs> there we are. We, we've ended with the agreement. Well, we've actually gone right the way through this pretty much agreement, which is nice. I think it's it's just um, yeah. I think you know I've I've learned a, I've learned a lot, but um, it's also been just fun. Yeah, well, know? that's how it should like, be. So, folks, that's the end of episode number 38. Thank you very much for tuning in. Just if I could have uh, your attention just for another couple of minutes. And, of course, that's just to mention the social media thing. If you you haven't already, head over to www.scotthistorypod.com. From there, you can find uh, links to almost all of the places where you can hear this podcast. Uh, It will also have a link onto the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash scotthistory pod the twitter page at scott history pod and instagram instagram.com forward slash scott history pod and lastly if you enjoy the podcast and you want to help support the podcast you can do so via the patreon page p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash scott history pod and you can choose to donate anything between one pound and three pounds per month to the podcast which of course just helps out with the running costs so once again thank you very much for listening folks and i will speak to you again next week <laughs>